0: Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: everybody. I hope you had a great week. It's a beautiful weather weekend and today we have a very special guest coming all the way over from Balmy, uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England. He's the very first Tri-C member I ever had going back 15 years ago. Our anniversary was like two weeks ago um, and we actually did a subsequent little video promoting the tri which will be uploaded uh soon after this one but anyway the one and only world record holder Paul the Blade Dodds welcome to the podcast
2: thank you very much Tony it's good to be here this time but hopefully not the last oh no cheerio uh
3: hi how you doing Joe and Nico I'm doing really good, man. You're right; it's a beautiful, been a beautiful weekend, man. Not too hot, you know. This is what you want in the summertime. I hope we got a lot more of these
2: left. What about you, Nico?
4: Doing great. So welcome to the show, Paul.
2: Thank you very much, Nico. Good to see everybody. I think it was a close call for the hair, man, because I think you know, Nico, that beard is looking slightly better than Joe's.
1: <laughs> I mean, you got to be careful now. Joe's very sensitive and he's very proud of his hair.
2: Oh and- yes, I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> i've
3: seen well we yeah, well we like to delegate i don't want to take over every aspect of the show so as far as facial hair that is definitely nico's realm yeah. he's definitely yeah. by far the leader in that aspect yeah It's definitely a team effort
4: you gotta you gotta teach me how to groom a little better joe <laughs> i mean i need some product recommendations
3: well like i said if you join my tri-c program i can give <laughs> you all those tips for the rest of your life
0: yeah
3: Joe is a very quaffed fellow, he, he likes to, well, he's proud
1: of himself, you know, um, and he's proud of his looks as as he should be, and Paul, you know, you have a lot to be proud of, too, you're one of the leading single gentlemen in all of the United Kingdom.
2: Yes, thank you for reminding me of that, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're split
1: 50-50 now. See, you and I are single, and and Nico and Joe are married, so this is a balanced podcast finally. So we need that.
3: So what's up? Over to you, Joe. Well, hey, Paul, just, you know, like, this is the first time I know Nico and I have met or talked to you. Tell us about yourself. Obviously, you're you're, you're from England, but, like, how did your training start? Where did it all happen for you, you know? Were you younger when you started, or?
2: Yeah, I, I started training, well, initially as a, a kid, I was about 10 when I took up karate, uh, but it didn't last long there, it was only six months, if that, uh, and then I took up Wing Chun Kung Fu when I was 13, yeah. and I did that for 13 years, uh, became an instructor in that style, and through through different seminars, I uh, did some of the JKD grappling with Larry Hartzell and Eric Paulson, uh, and that was what Got me into like the ground game aspect or the grappling side of things but where I live there was nowhere to actually train uh so I just carried on with the Wing Chun and we were training the groundwork things what we'd learn from the seminars but we weren't getting instructed in it as such from that point on uh and I think it was a few months later that I initially went on Tony's website from the Black Belt article and bought the Lost Art of Hooking program and the Lucky 13 and obviously just watching the DVDs seeing all these new techniques, which I'd never seen before and explained the way it was. It was like, yeah, this, this is really interesting because it was all about the body mechanics and the physics side of things, the leverage. So that got me really interested. And obviously it wasn't much long after that that Tony put the Tri-C programme up on his website. And I was just, yeah, I've got to do it. I've got to go for it. So I signed up first day. Uh we Went from there, had a few phone calls, emails, things like that. Uh, got the program started where I emphasized on getting myself fit because Wing Chun I don't know if you've any experience of seeing Wing Chun Kung Fu, but it's not the most physically intense thing. I mean, there is some aspects where you're doing some fitness, but it's not high impact, and it's certainly not like wrestling. So I wasn't coming from a fitness background as such. I did no weights, no cardio, nothing. It was literally all I did was the Wing Chun before I joined the tri C. So initially it was a lot of body weight stuff with Tony, uh, especially pull ups and press ups. That was mostly what I did on the Lucky Thirteen because uh, I want my main goal at the time, and Tony knows this, was uh, to keep up with Martin on the Lucky Thirteen. That was my ideal thing, ideally to beat him. Um, But for my first trip to Chicago, that was the main thing I was looking forward to, just to train with Martin. So that was uh, massive to me. (laughs) And Tony obviously knew that, and I did get to train with him, so that was great. (laughs) Yeah, and you ended up ultimately setting uh, some world records in
1: fitness. Uh, Why don't we talk about that?
2: Yeah, I can't remember what trip it was. I think it was about the third or fourth trip to Chicago when we did that um your idea <laughs> but uh, the first one was uh mr 3000 was the nickname i got after that one and that involved 3000 push-ups 3000 uh burpees and 3000 star jumps uh in under three hours you yeah it was two hours i think it was about two and a half hours Right. and you did it non-stop
1: there were there was no breaks there was nothing you just it was it was continuous And, uh, you know, that was just an, it was just incredible, uh, you know, to watch you, you know, go like that. And, uh, you know, it's a combination when you do high repetition, things like that, it, it, it goes beyond your body anymore and it becomes your mind. It's a mind game. You know, when is this going to end and, you know, blah, blah, blah.
2: And, uh, well, I, kept, I, don't we actually, I don't think when we did that, I don't think we set a set number either. I think we just kept on going, and I was starting to tire at that point. So you said it was, well, you're up to 3,000, so let's just stop, well, I think.
1: I didn't want to tell you a number because then uh, that, that can work. I mean, it can go both ways. It can work well, uh, or it can work against you. Um, you know, w- well, like when I set the push-up world record – I had two people. I had a timer, a guy counting out the time. I needed to know every 10 seconds and I had somebody also keeping the count along with my mental count, but that I needed that because I was going for time. I had to get roughly two pushups per second. Okay. So I had to keep pace. Whereas with you, it, it wasn't so much a pace that you were going after it was the longevity. So, yeah, when you start saying, okay, you got 3,000, now you got 2,500 to go. That can play with your head. So, but you you were incredible. And then uh, afterwards, on another occasion, back in the UK, you set the world uh, squat thrust record. Talk about that.
2: Yeah, that was the single leg squat thrust rather than the double leg. Uh, I think it took me about four or five attempts to break it, uh, getting very close each time. That was within five minutes, most squat thrusts in five minutes. And I should have had a look at this to see what figure it was. I can't remember off the top of the head, but I think it was about five hundred and sixty-eight in five minutes. I think you broke Patty O'Doyle's record, I believe. Yeah, Patty Doyle's record, yeah. That that one was in the Guinness World Records.
1: Yeah. And you know, and it's great that you know it's we were talking about this on the uh the little commercial thing we did. Uh that the number means nothing to you. It was the fact that you did it. And we had the video, I used to have the video up on my website um, of you breaking that world record. Uh, It's just, because records are made to be broken, but it's an important aspect that you can take yourself to that limit of being the best in the world or one of the best in the world at something. And when you can do that, you know, like right now, we're in the midst of the Olympics and you're seeing some, you know, great events and some world records at times or Olympic records and they will all be broken eventually. But these are people, male and female, that have reached the pinnacle. And, you know, that's something great to carry with you throughout your life because it means you can, you can succeed in other elements. You, You have the, uh, the prerequisites, all the determination, the practice, the patience, the, the intelligence. Uh, so it's, it's quite an accolade for you, uh, Paul, and I'm just glad to be your friend and, you know, be there for you through for all this stuff.
2: Oh, thank you. You just covered a good point there. I think a lot of it is down to that drive and determination and mental power rather than anything else because like, you've just got to go for it and know that you you are going to get to that target without stopping. just doesn't matter how much pain you're in or if you're starting to cramble, just keep on going, unless you have a heart attack or something, obviously, which you can't. <laughs> But there's no reason to not push yourself to that limit. Yes, it might get uncomfortable, but you're not gonna to get to the the pinnacle if you don't go through that pain first.
3: Can I ask some questions about that process? I'm kind of fascinated by this. Um so obviously you said you did some did some martial arts, but they weren't as intense, they weren't as physical as more technical stuff like the concert yeah. you were doing. So when you started, so really in some ways, I wouldn't say you're starting at ground zero, but pretty close, it sounds like. How long did it take you? Like, what? what how many years of build-up did it take you to get to a point where you could do so many reps continuously? Like, well, how, like, what was the? Do you remember kind of the how the length of the process just to get near that?
2: Uh, well, initially I started more on the push up side of things and the pull ups side. Like I said so it wasn't really on the squat thrust But for the push ups, for example, I started zero. Uh, and before I even got to train with Tony in person, I think I'd built up to, I think it was a few hundred a day like in one go. Um, so, yeah, I was quite high intense within six months, really. Wow. Uh, but I, that was training every day. Um. I didn't really have a break. I was, I was a lot younger then as well. So <laughs> I couldn't do that every day now because the body would just break down too quickly. Well, don't forget too, uh, Joe, that... Um...
1: Paul was um, also learning fighting techniques the boxing for me the wrestling it wasn't we weren't just focusing on strictly conditioning although that was a part of it and that's what's great about the tri C program is that you don't know where this is going to take you the tri C you know you might end up really um, being great at the boxing or you know wanting to you know focus on that or the wrestling or self-defense or bodyguarding because I teach all of it in this course or fitness. And in Paul's uh, case, while he's an excellent boxer and grappler, he just was, you know, totally world-class with his fitness. It was just a marriage made in heaven, these exercises and him. Um, And, you know, he's a small guy. When he started with me, he weighed about 132 pounds. You know, a lot of people see me or they see big Brian or, Bruce or you know, these bruisers on my videos, but the majority of my students are not bulked up. They're they're average or you know, smaller on the small side like like Paul is. And it didn't it didn't stop him. You know, he still became world record holder. So
2: that's awesome. I think another thing to bear in mind as well is just again, I'm an average show who was working every day and just trained. Yeah, I was training every day, but it was part time. It wasn't like a full on career as such like a pro fighter would, uh, I didn't come from that sort of level or anything like that.
4: So I, w- I wanted to ask you about that competition. So when you had to do like 3,000 push-ups and uh, the other exercises, was it one exercise at a time and, and you couldn't stop until it was done? Yeah, so or what, you what we did was, we did a years? set of
2: 10 push-ups, then a set of 10 burpees, then a set of 10 star jumps and okay. just kept going and rotating. <clears throat> Tony's um, got the video. I'm sure you'll uh, show you a bit
1: if you ask. <laughs> yeah, I uh, we take we take pretty much I think all of it. Uh, but the uh, the key is the nonstop, and, yeah. and literally there was there was no all right you got a 10-second break here they, that none of that happened. Okay, he was just go 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 go, um, and part of my training, as you know, Nico, because you've lived this. Uh, it's not only accomplishing these numbers, it's the, uh what, what's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, um, the recovery time. You in a fight, you, you need to, sh- you need to really slow down. Uh You know, your recovery time has to happen quickly. Okay. It does you no good that once you, let's say hit the wall, it takes you five minutes to recover. Well, you'll be dead, you know, in a, in a street fight by then. So his fitness was so good that you know his he was as he was progressing and getting tired, he was still simultaneously recovering. That's why the switch in exercises to to tee uh, up that recovery. It's a physiological thing, and you can do that in your fighting too by switching your style of fighting during the fight. Let's say striking, grappling, or whatever. Uh, but yeah, he was totally fit. As a matter of fact, he's on my uh, circuit breaker video. It's just him going, going, going on that, just like the lucky thirteen, you know, go, go, go. Um, no edits, you know, just keep the camera rolling. Uh, yeah, so I'm very, I'm very proud of Paul. And then later, he got into powerlifting, and uh, you know, which is a whole different, complete different thing, you know. Uh, but you know the biggest thing is he lived far away in back the, he's been with me 15 years 15 years ago we didn't have zoom or this kind of stuff uploading videos and everything i had to wait for him to mail me a dvd in the mail from england <clears throat> then i had to watch the video then i had to make a video burn a dvd and mail it to him this whole thing takes you know like a month um and it was about it was about patience you know, phone calls, emails, uh, you know, then as technology progressed like it is today, uh, there's no excuse. I keep harping on this zero. There's not one valid excuse to not do the Tri C program, any kind of distance learning. It's just so convenient. Um, I, it really, I wish there was something, you know, like this available when I was young because there were certain days, Joe went to Cleveland with me, so he had, he had an idea of how far I had to travel um, to, to get to my lessons every day, and through all the bad neighborhoods, and all the stress, and all that brought on, there was a lot of times where it would have been just nice to do something like this, or film something at my house, or my backyard, and, you know, email it, or upload it, I should say, and have my coach watch it, um, but we didn't have anything like that, so... We're we're living in a good time, really, for that.
3: So you was your first time coming to the U.S. Just coming to, to Chicago to train.
2: No, I'd been to the U.S. on holiday before, just to Florida. Um, but it was the first trip to Chicago. Yeah, that's probably the. I'd been in Vegas as well. Sorry as well before that on holiday, that vacation. Sorry as you guys say. <laughs> yeah,
1: so- you. On subsequent trips, he's had his brother out here with him. He's had his mother and father out here with him. So the training really can become a family affair. Um, you, you, you lose this teacher student relationship quickly when, when you're, when you're really consistent and you, and you develop a, a rapport and you become friends. I mean, I don't want to share my knowledge with people. I don't consider friends or, you know, um, decent people, decent human beings. Um, And Paul's with the cream of the crop. You know, he's just one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. And that goes for his family as well.
2: Just a pity I couldn't have brought a training partner across with us as well. Because at the time, well, as Tony knows, I had a lot of trouble keeping a hold of training partners because they either, well, the first one moved away, which obviously I couldn't do anything about that. But I had a few after that and they just didn't like the punishment really. (laughs) They weren't prepared to go through the pain either of the, physical side of the conditioning or the submission holds so that was my main problem that was why I geared more towards the fitness because I knew uh, I could rely on myself to get everything done uh I still do solo wrestling drills now but obviously it's hard to practice the submissions because I I just don't get anybody to practice them on (laughs) yeah that's
1: you're not unique that happens to I I didn't have anybody I had to make do with, with whoever I could um this is the this is the pinnacle. This is the the most elite style of, of grappling there is, and it's it's hardcore, and it's not for everybody. You know, just like if you wanted to become an Olympic level wrestler, man, that's you you know there's punishment involved in that, and that's not for everybody. But thankfully, there's wrestling. Wrestling is scholastic in this country, um, so if you were just strictly doing wrestling, it would be a little bit easier in this country to get, you know, training partners. But you know. The only other option is to quit and I know you're the type of guy that just won't quit you've been here for 15 (laughs) years you're going to probably be here till till the day I die you know um so that's good
3: (laughs) how did the the physical conditioning help you with the wing Chun? I gotta imagine that must have been a dramatic shift too
2: it was it was a big shift and really at the time I didn't um I started gearing away from the Wing Chun. I only lasted probably another, I'd say after my first trip to Chicago, so maybe six months, I, I completely gave up on the Wing Chun um, and just focused more on the wrestling and the boxing because at that time, I did have a training partner and I could actually practice all the stuff I was learn from Tony because the first trip and the first time I actually trained with someone was a huge wake-up call because at the time, I was like the big fish in a little pond in the Wing Chun place. like Nobody could touch me and I was like, Pretty fast with the with the hands, because uh, it's mostly up my body. It's not similar to boxing in the actual sense of the style, but it's all up my body pretty much. There is a few kicks, but they're all like for the knee or below. They're not there's no high kicks, nothing above the waist. So it was mostly hands, and I was quite fast. But of course, the first trip to Chicago, um, and pretty much I think it was the first or second training session when I met Javier, and Tony just went right, go live. And I think it took them all of like three seconds to take us down and submit me. So uh, it was like a yeah, this is a wake-up call. <laughs> I need to know this stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of that, you know. Um I it's it is a wake-up call, but and I and like Joe likes to emphasize, and we've discussed this yesterday, Paul. Another big wake-up call for people is just when I put a hold on them, when when they feel this it's they've never felt anything like it before in, in any other style of, of grappling with the, the ferocity, the, the power that the holds the way that I teach them. Um, <clears throat> and you experienced that firsthand.
2: Yes. Well, literally first time, cause it was a double wrist lock after a handshake. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, incredible power and, uh, but another point to make there is, you don't have to be your size to be able to apply that sort of power. Because when when I was training there and I was training with Big Brian, I was getting the techniques on on him, and they were working. It wasn't um, so that wasn't a problem in that sense. No,
1: but I remember I have video clips here and there when we would be out in public, out in a pub or something like that, and I'm showing you finger locks and arm <laughs> locks, and you're doing it you know, and yeah, it's just, it's just, a, it's, it's great because it's a uniqueness. Even now, after all these years, very few people have immersed themselves to really get, you know, the high level training. So it's still a, I don't want to call it a mystery per se, but it it's still an elite, you know, it's not been proliferated so much that it's watered down. Since I'm the only source, it's going to stay really pure. We We, we were talking about this once on a, previous podcast, I think um, Nico brought it up about styles getting watered down. So with me, it'll never be watered. It won't be watered down. Um, There may be students that take what I show them and they have to water it down in order for it to work in their competitions because so many holds and ways of doing these holds are, are outlawed. Um, But that's a whole nother subject, but (laughs) You've made a lot of impressions on people here in Chicago. Sadly, many of our closest friends, you know that you've met, have passed away, um, and the the circle is really becoming almost like a dot. It's there's not a lot of our little crew left. Um, of I don't mean athletes, but you know, support groups, fans, yeah, yeah. friends. friends. Um, but you've met a lot of them, so and you you touched each and every one of them. They 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 were. They said, as small as you are, you're the biggest guy they've ever met. Like Uncle Benny used to say, you're the toughest son of a bitch I've ever met.
2: <laughs> what about you, then, Nico? Have you got any questions?
4: Uh, well, I mean, it just reminded me when you are talking about, like, Tony was mentioning how you don't really understand the techniques until you really feel them applied. And uh, I always – like before I met Tony, I used to watch the, the lost art of hooking. And I always thought Tony was just a jerk. Like I, I, I heard he Bruce was like screaming and he's like, ah, ah, and I was, and I was thinking, man, this guy's just a jerk. He's just like really going way too hard on him. But then I, after training with Tony, I realized it's, it's the technique is just so tight that the pain is just incredible. And it's, it's not like he's like, going full blast with it at all it's just the tech. it's so technical and it's so precise and it just hurts like crazy so it's definitely an eye-opener when you feel the techniques being applied
1: yeah it's, it's kind of hard to you know it's like you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't if you go soft totally soft and not put the technique on all the way or you know properly like like mo- like a regular way people will be oh there's nothing to this then when you put it on the right way oh my god he's hurt he's, you know like you said he's a jerk or he's this or that you can't win
4: so you, but you know, don't, you don't even fully like no, you know leverage the technique and it's already just hurts incredible yeah. like it's really really tight
1: yeah i mean we you know we've talked about this before i've had pro fighters that say don't 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 i don't want to spar with you Tony. Don't, don't put it on you know it, it hurts too much i can't defend it so but you got to still see it you know kind of like like you take, well, let's just use Mike Tyson or something, for, for example. You know, if if you just if he just would give you love taps all the time and throughout his career, you wouldn't be impressed. But when he unloads, you realize the speed and power is there. Um, and that's similar to this. You know, it's, it's such a level that, yeah, you, 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 re, you do. You have to feel all these things, toe holds, neck cranks, uh, arm locks, and so on. You know, when, you, when they're put on the way that I put them on, Yeah, that's how I... See, now, I'm coming from a different place than you guys. Because when I started studying this, I'd never seen anything. Okay? There was no internet. There was no... This wasn't in the movies. You had fake pro wrestling. And and even by the time in the 70s, there wasn't a lot of submission holds. There was the choke, the sleeper hold um, and, you know, the standing bullshit wrist lock. But there really wasn't any submissions. Oh, the figure four... There was a guy in Cleveland, his name was Johnny Powers. I think he's still alive. And he, he, he did what was called a power lock, which was like a figure four leg lock. So that's it. All right. So I never saw submissions. So when they were put on me um, like that, like the, the way I put it on you, that's, I mean, wow. I thought this is how all submissions were supposed to be, right? Like crazy pain. It wasn't until I got a little older and started meeting guys who did judo or something. And I'm like, whoa, no. No, 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 guys. This is not the way to do this. You know, um, you got, you know. There's, and I, I, just, you know what? I, I learned quickly to keep my mouth shut because they didn't want to hear it. You know, and to their credit, they have rules. You know, and they're, you know, even back then, judo was was in, in the, the people that I saw were more throw oriented, just like now in the Olympics. I've watched some of the judo, with the exception of one guy. It, it's been all like throwing. I've, I've seen guys go to the ground even, and women, slip and go to the ground, and the, the other wrestler, the other judoka, just lets them off. So, <clears throat> but, yeah, I'm glad at least you guys got to, you know, no matter what, you, you got to feel this, and you'll always know, no matter who you run into the rest of your life in other styles of grappling, you'll you'll always be able to know, know the difference. But with me, because Rod Van was so strong the world's strongest man, basically. Um, I did not realize how it felt. Uh, I mean, how, I, I knew how it felt on me. I never realized how it would feel like, with me doing it, okay? I figured, well, I can't do it. It it won't hurt the other person as much as it hurts me because I don't have Rod Vanden's strength. Well, when I started doing it on people and I, and I saw their reactions, then I'm like, well, that's when it—that's when it sunk in with me. That oh my god, this stuff is serious. I mean, this is like the best stuff in the world. Um, yeah, and it just—it was an just awesome for me. It was like a you know, come to Jesus moment, man. It was this awesome realization that man, I—I I got the world by the ass over here with this stuff.
3: First time you um. Was that like when you were kind of sparring with some high school guys or something? What was that story when you finally kind of like, you realized how powerful the stuff was?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was high school age. Kid, kids my age, you know, give or take a year. I think I was, I was always pretty much the youngest. Um, everybody was, you know, months or a year or more older than me. And when it first happened, I just thought they were goofing around, just kind of letting me. And um, I didn't really analyze it as much. And then when I got jumped in a street fight, after being pretty good at this stuff already, and I demolished this guy, and he was a guy. He was like a man. Um, then I realized, okay, yeah, I have this. This is, this is, this is the real deal. And then it kind of changed my perspective when I sparred with, hooped, hooped around with friends, or sparred, whatever you want to call it, I really made sure to go easy. I really made sure, you know, to be careful with this stuff with them. Again, you have to, everybody has to bear in mind. <clears throat> I, there was no patterns for me to follow. There was no UFC or jujitsu tournaments to watch on YouTube and see how people tap out. So that didn't exist in my life. Okay. Um, when I say tap out, I didn't tap out, tap out. It's like, oh, okay, oh, okay. Oh, God damn, Oh, you know, that, <laughs> that's what was happening here wasting time doing this tapping out that's energy that could have been used to counter the hole all right so people in general did not know about this tapping out stuff and it wasn't part of the vernacular right people didn't see ufc fights and blah 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 so you you know it, it was like screaming uncle you know cry uncle as they used to say and that's what would happen uh, it, it was just really a golden moment. It, it, I only had like two or three of those moments in my life. One, another one was, so that one was the first one, but the other one was um, with music. When I heard Jerry Sigler, when he came to Cleveland, cause that's his hometown to visit. And he was playing my accordion and me and my teacher, and another guy, Tony, another guy named Tony. It, it altered my life. And, uh, the other one was uh, Buddy Rich. <clears throat> when I was in ninth grade, I saw a Buddy Rich concert, and that that was a tear, tearful moment. I mean, that just touched me. Those are the three biggest moments that I can remember where my life changed because it was, I mean, literally changed permanently. So the fighting with Rob on this catch wrestling, the Buddy Rich and Jerry Sigler with the jazz, what he was doing with the block chords and everything, oh,
4: So Paul, I, I got to ask you a little bit about the Wing Chun. It's so with Wing Chun, do you guys have katas and do you do, do you actually do like live sparring with the Wing Chun?
2: At my particular school, well, first part, yes, there is katas. Um, there's three hand forms, and then there's a wooden dummy form, and then there's the staff form, and then there's a knife form, and. Um, but they're not practical knives, they're like big Chinese weapon type things. Um, there wasn't much live sparring at my particular gym, if you want to call it that. Uh, it did start to pick up a little bit once the UFC came out, and like I say, the groundwork started coming in. Then I think the instructor thought, oh, this is more what people want. So sort I of think he made it more for commercial purposes rather than for the training side of things. Because, like I say, I trained it for 13 years and up to, I'd say, at least the first 10, 11, there was no sparring. Not, like, full-on live. You would do some set drills and then you might have a... Like, the more senior ones might do a bit, but, like, certainly not for anyone who hadn't been there for a few years. We do do an exercise, or we did, I should say. Uh, it's called qi sao in Chinese, which means sticky hands. And the closest I can related to the catch wrestling. It's very similar to pummeling. Um, so it, basically you make contact with both forearms on each other um, and then you roll. And there's lots of techniques from that, but it's all about the sensitivity side of things. And so if he moves that way, I know to it can this way. So in that sense, that helped with the wrestling because with the pummeling, I knew how to sort of move in that sense, if that makes sense. Uh, like us say, it's a lot more... Difficult with the main chunk because it's more arm based. So, yes, you did have to step with it and things like that, but there wasn't as much like clinches or anything like that. It was all at arm's distance.
3: That's a really interesting observation. Um, So, do you recommend Qi Sao now as kind of a, a supplement to uh, maybe augment the pummeling? Is that something you would do necessarily? Do you think there's some value there? Of Yeah, I um, think
2: there is some value in that. And um, when I was training with the wing chun, obviously, and doing the groundwork, I could see the correlation between the two. And when I trained a few times with Tony and come back, I did do a seminar for the club I used to train at with more of Tony's stuff. And that's how I related a lot of it, because obviously they couldn't understand what was going on, how, how it was meant to feel sort of thing. So I related to that particular exercise. And I put a lot of the submissions into the standing side of things for them. So especially the double wrist lock, that was... Easily applied from the chief south position because you've already got the arm straight away. So as soon as it moved downwards, I was over the top of it and cinching it on. And so there's a lot of few and um, lot of techniques could be related to that. But most of it was about the energy, so feeling where the guy's going or where you're putting him, where he's going to be off balance, how far I need to pull it, leverage and physics basically. That's really
3: a cool idea. I never really thought about that, about like using Chi Sao and flowing into like a double wrist lock. That would be, that's kind of a fun uh, hybrid idea. I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah,
2: there was that. And well, obviously one of my favorites is the front choke. So that comes out very easily from Chi Sao as well. Because as soon as you get past the arm to the head, obviously you would strike it first. But in Chi Sao, there's not full-on punches or anything like that. It's basically, yeah, I've got you there. So if you can clear the arms and and get the, we used to see if you could go through the head like with it, I just say if I can get to here, then I don't need to in the exercise. I can just go to there and know that I can extend through. If that makes sense, so you wouldn't physically hit the person with a strike. You would just say, "Yeah, I've got you there," because I could go through the target as such. I'd have cleared his arms already and made contact. I mean, I'm sure if you um, go on YouTube and see, some chiefs out can look really awful. Um, <laughs> As most styles, it's done very differently in different Wing Chun schools. So, some people do it back, back to camera. Some people do it very circular, like that. And then they'll go into something. Whereas my, tech, my style of Wing Chun was more forward, going like this. So, it was all about forward energy rather than circular energy. But the good thing is, if it combined the two, so if I went to a different Wing Chun school and got used to that circular motion, it was easier for me to combine the two, because then you've got the complete sense of feeling of forward and circular, rather than just concentrating on one, where if you're going circular all the time, how are you meant to go forward? Because ideally, I want to go through that person. <laughs> so like, so if, I- you if you're taking a shot on someone, you're going to go straight through them, or you're going to turn the corner and go through them anyway, with that circular motion. So you'd step off the side and go through or you're just going to go straight through. So you would practice both. You wouldn't just practice one.
3: <laughs> so the idea is, is kind of you're, you're applying, there's always some constant forward pressure. So if they're not stopping you, you're going. You're able to hit them or yeah, grab exactly. them. Or yeah. so, okay. Cool, cool. Because I've heard, and now, well, a couple of questions. A, the idea, it's kind of like similar to Tony's submissions. I mean, you can learn some of that through video and remotely, but there's an, an added benefit to feeling it Done, And I've heard that with Chi Sao too, that if you don't have a qualified instructor to kind of feel what they're doing, uh, it's difficult to
2: learn. Would you agree with that? Completely agree a hundred percent. Yeah. And a lot of the time when I was training, um, and again, going to different clubs, you can see what, obviously when you've got the experience, you can see when someone's doing it wrong. But like you say, if you've been going for years and you've got the experience of feeling how it is, a lot of the time we would do it blindfolded and things like that. So you, you weren't relying on the vision. You had to know where you were with your balance, your stance and that forward pressure all the time. You weren't relying on seeing it because once you've got in that close to someone, the, if it is going to be strikes, it's going to be probably an cut or a body shot really in close. It's not going to be like a long jab or something like that because you've already, it's past that distance. The Wing Chun punches are really short punches, So, pretty much, they are straight, but there's an uppercut in there as well. But they don't use it like boxing where it's like setting up a one-two sort of thing. It's basically just bombarding you with fast chain punches, they're called, um, which are great if they land. (laughs) But when you go to the sparring side of things, they're very limited because they haven't got, I don't want to say lack of technique, but they've only got that one motion of that attack quite limited yes there is elbows and things and that in there as well but for the chi sao purposes it is very limited in that sense techniques um, I'd probably say 8 to 10 techniques and just mastering them because like I say it's about the leverage of the arms and where you're going to put that person more than anything else if you can do that then it doesn't matter what this technique is because then Google was to knock the guy out <laughs> he was just obstructing at that time but so it sounds like there is still like a handful of techniques that you would
3: keep in your repertoire from your Wing Chun days that you would integrate with your boxing and your grappling. Is that
2: correct? I would say they tie in very well because um, uh, they're just called different names, basically. So like, uh, I can't remember, the Chinese terms on in my head now because I haven't done it for that long. But it's basically just arm drags and things like that are in Wing Chun. And they're just called something different. Uh, And generally, we'll we'll take an arm drag as an example. It's an easier option. So, an arm drag, you can, it's obviously the wrist or above the tricep. The Wing Chun would, the only difference being the Wing Chun would have like a, a grip like this and they would pull it straight across. It wouldn't be underneath in that sense. Like a wrestler would probably come underneath it would be straight across and then coming in with a punch or an elbow straight away. They wouldn't be looking to the tie tie up as such. If it was there, they would pull it away and then they're straight into the strikes.
3: So kind of some of the aspects when you're, cause yeah, that's something, I don't think it's necessarily unique, but it's definitely a, a high, uh, what do you call it? A very uh, prominent or uh, thing for the wing trunk styles where they're, they're pulling and hitting and you know, they're gra- they're grabbing the arms and hitting at the same time, which is, you know, and, 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 uh, sport boxing is illegal. Yeah, um, but um, but yeah, it seems to it seems to be almost that in between ground between uh, boxing and wrestling because you're starting you're, you're mixing your strikes with your grappling or at least your hand fighting. I guess
2: if we yeah that's that's probably a better term. There's a lot. It's all hand fight, uh, not all hand fighting because there's the stances to take involved as well. But the stances are a lot more immobile than the wrestling or the, or the boxing. They're a lot more limited because they emphasize all the weight on the back leg so that you've got maximum power off your backhand punch. But it's very static because you're loading that weight up. Like The way I was taught it was you'd have at least 70% on the back leg and only 30% on the front leg. So if someone does kick the front leg, you can lift it easy, things like that. But also restrict your movement because the weight's all on that back leg and you're having to drive off it a lot more. Whereas if you're lighter on your feet, you can move a lot more either direction, forward, back, or wherever.
3: That's what's really cool about it is I think that, you know, there could be people out there listening who are coming from kung fu styles or other styles, and it doesn't mean they have to scrap everything. You know, they can still integrate what Tony's teaching, like the boxing, the wrestling, the catch. And, you know, um there are points of like uh overlap some sometimes, you know, uh like in that case with the Chi Sao. Uh, that's very cool. Um how how long do you think for an average, athlete, not like a highly athletic, but an average uh, athletic skill person with training to learn Chi uh, Sao
2: or to be competent at it? It would already depend on the individual, but I would say you could probably become competent in three months maximum. Um, not like world beating or anything like that, but you'd be able to know the techniques and you'd have that sense of what you're meant to be feeling. Like I say it's all about the feeling, it's not strictly about well, I'm I'm not backing off, I'm just gonna stay here and I'm gonna move you basically. Uh it sounds harder than what it is. I mean, if you see someone doing it, it, it can either look lovely <laughs> or it can look terrible. It's it's like like you said, hand fighting or pummeling. It can look great when you see someone going at it full belt, and then you, you can see when they're just doing it as a drill. And I think that's what a lot of people find. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? In Wing Chun, they think of that more. they think of that more as sparring than what they do sparring? Mm. So they don't think of it as I thought of it more as an exercise to learn the skills for the feeling side of things. A lot of people are using that. They oh, well, I've got this technique on here, so I win. And that wasn't the way that I was looking at. It. Yeah, if you got the technique on, great, in one sense. But don't stop there. You need to keep on going still. Because a lot of the time it would be, strike, right, finish, let's break off. No, because if you even if you do strike me, there's no saying in real life that that first strike is going to do the job. I want to keep on going until you're finished. <laughs> because I was all about self-defense when I was doing that particular style. Um, and I got a lot of questions when I started the instructing, Well, What would you do here? What would you do here in, this, in a street fight? Tonight? And at the time I was like, well... Where are we? What scenario are you put me in? Like what Tony said, are you on snow? Are you on loose gravel? Are you... It all depends on the situation. A really good one I got was um, I was in a bar one time <laughs> and there was the four, of us, four of us there at a the table, uh, all students of mine. And we were just sat having a drink and one of them said, well, what would you do if I attacked you now? And he obviously sat across from me. So I said, well, the first thing I would do is this glass would be in your head. And your head would be then in the table. And he said, well, where's the, where's the technique in that? I was like, well, I don't need technique. It's a street fight. <laughs> that is my instant reaction because it's the closest weapon that I've got there. That glass, your head, <laughs> table, <laughs> up yep. the end of the job. But he didn't grasp that. He, he was looking for, well, why can't you do this technique here and this technique here? It would be too long-winded. You should be looking for the quickest thing to end the fight. And I still don't yeah. do that. That's a very important aspect that just so many
1: people just don't get. There is a huge difference potentially in a street fight to to any sportive uh, realm, um, potentially, because some guys still want to just duke it out man to man. But, you know, most of the time, you know, it it isn't like that. Um, Talking about incorporating things. See, I had boxed before I wrestled, so I was allowed to keep my boxing. I was actually not just allowed. I was – it was promoted. You know, um, he wanted me to continue with my boxing and, and, you know, incorporate it. And that's what the thing, like with the Tri-C, <clears throat> or even, you know, obviously when you're here in person, but the Tri-C is – it's personalized for you. It's not cookie cutter. It's not everybody tra- trains the same. No. And that's why I need to see a video of you so I can get an idea of where you're at, what your current skills are. And there will be things that I'll tell you to keep. You know, implement this. Or here's a chance to use your your specialty move here or there whatever. Um, whatever. That's good. But, but I'll also correct you if I see you doing something that you shouldn't be doing or if a particular move or a series of moves is, is not going to fly in a reality-based uh, situation. I'll point it out. But, yeah, it's it's all about becoming well-rounded, um, but not uh, not just well-rounded. You want to avoid what's the word I'm looking for? Like repetition, like duplication, like doing certain moves, like wasting time on moves that are so similar. Um, you know, let's get on with it. You you get a, you have to get a broader repertoire, okay? Uh, and there's shortcuts to that. In music, it's called an enharmonic equivalent, okay, where, for example, a C major sixth chord is also an A minor seventh chord, depending on what you're doing on the bass. So as opposed to thinking two whole completely separate chords, it's really the same thing. And and that's how I base my fighting style, like the top wrist locks, double wrist locks, stopper toe holds, figure four, front chokes, and... Whatever face locks, they're all. The, I I try to think of them as almost all the same move because they're all based on a figure four. The grips are so similar that you know you master one, you should just blend right into the next. Um, and you just it just takes an advanced instructor or an advanced pupil to you know point it out, and it saves people a lot of time. So you're no longer thinking of learning 40 moves. You're thinking of maybe learning one and applying it in 40 different situations. That's the thing. But, you know, <clears throat> Paul has been a great student. He's dedicated, and like everybody, life gets in the way, and Paul has taken steps back, and we've been through ups and downs together, loves and loss, life and death, people that we know, and, you know, it's all part of it. <clears throat> this, is a con- this is a community. And as I mentioned in the uh, the other uh, podcast or whatever you want to call it, uh, based on the Tri C alone, that'll be uploaded. Paul um, at times, is when he's been out here, has and worked out with other Tri C members, you know, um, from Europe, from different parts of America. <clears throat> if if everybody's schedule can click, um, you know. So it, it yeah, you it's it's a nice little you never you're not really alone even if you're maybe you're in England or you're in uh Singapore where I've had students or you know uh, different parts of asia or Australia you name it you may think you're alone but you're really not alone you know you, you we we can always hook up even now with especially now with the zoom so
4: how did that work? did you did Paul, did you send him a video like once a month or every other week? Or did you have a, a set schedule for that? Or was it just, you know, working around your schedule?
2: Well, at the time, we were, I had to do a certain thing each week and write it all down. And then I would email him the results of that every week. But the actual video side of things, because it took so long to get there, it took two weeks to actually arrive at Tony's. Um, so we were only in contact for that sort of thing, probably once a month. So he, because we would have to schedule when we could meet due to the time difference. Uh, and then I would have to get the file on my computer and he would be saying, right, it's at this point here, say like two minutes, five seconds. You want to pause it there and look where the position is. And he would explain how it was different and then move on to the next time, this point, But yeah, it was a lot more time consuming then because it was at least two weeks before we'd be able to send the files to each other because it wasn't over the internet. It was literally a physical DVD disc. Uh, which was the main – I mean, it didn't bother me. It wasn't a problem because I wasn't in a hurry to learn anything. Um, I got told what to do, and that's what I would do until he told me to change it. <laughs> well, you have to practice. You know, you can't – I can't show
1: you a move and then the same day or tomorrow you send me a video of, You know, that's, that's not practicing. That's not studying. You have to put in the reps, rep, rep, rep. Now, I don't mean do it and then show me in six months. No, because if you're doing it improperly for six months, that's bad muscle memory. But you have to, I explain things pretty thorough. So you should grasp it. If you don't, ask a question right away. But then you should practice thousands of reps, send it to me, and then we'll know, you know, okay, you're doing fine. Like just recently, uh, one of my uh, Tri C uh, participants, students, working on head scissors, <clears throat> and just didn't place the foot right, okay? The rest of the move was fine, but the, they were placing the foot here, going cross chest, as opposed to here, or stopping on the face. It's a minor adjustment, but I told them that. And then they refilmed it uh, like a week later or whatever, and, yeah, all, all was good in Tonyville, okay, and we could move on. So like I say, it's so much easier now, Nico, because of these uploads, you know, we use, I use, um, what is it that I use? What's it called? Uh, Dropbox. So it's free. So the student just download Dropbox on their computer and then you just upload the files. Once you get the files, you let me know. Oh, okay, I got it. Then I delete them. So to save space on um, Dropbox and then we go from there, um, It's really convenient. And every so often I'll, I won't have a lesson. I'll have a Zoom meeting just like this, you know, like a talk. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? How's life? How's your wife? How's the kids? You know, I try to do that when I can. It's been hectic lately because of my situation here. But, yeah, it it really can't be any easier. I, i It's like the way, I mean, you know, and when you think about, like, Phoenix University, or all these other online schools. Now, I'm not saying I invented doing this. I I probably invented it in the martial arts world, as far as having people come and stay at my house and one-on-one training, maybe. But online learning has been around, Um, you know, and it's. I know musicians that are doing it. I'm sure there's women yoga instructors that you don't want to do it, and you know, are successful. So it's, it's here to stay. You know, it may not ever replace gyms, but the way the COVID situation is, and just the way life is in general for people that have a problem with time management, this is the perfect solution because you can film something or practice at your pace. At You know, if it's 3 o'clock in the morning, okay, okay. You know, do it. Film it if, it if it's at three. Email it to me. I'll get to it when I wake up. I'll look at it if I have the time. If not, I'll get to it within a few days, you know, depending on how backed up I am. It's good.
2: I think you've yeah. really got the patience and dedication to what you do, and it shouldn't bother you anyway, really. <laughs> you have to have patience in anything. I mean,
1: <clears throat> if you want to get strong or you want to put on size or just whatever, you know, you just have to wait. You know, if you're 12 years old and you want to drive a car, you just got to wait until you're 16 or whatever, you know, the, the law is by you. There's nothing you can do. But during those times of patience that, you know, you, you really need to hunker down or in the music world, we call it woodshedding, man. You practice, practice, practice. Thousands, tens and tens and tens of thousands of repetitions. And, you know, look forward to it. It's, it's a beautiful thing. When time passes, that's a good thing because that means you're getting that much better. It sucks if you're doing nothing. Okay, if you're just wasting your time, then it's like, oh, I'm just here getting old. No, be productive. Like, like you are, Paul. I mean, you didn't get to be world records setters. You know, a world record setter by thinking about it. You, you did it. You, you, you put your plan in motion, Joe. Joe didn't get to be that devastatingly good-looking by just random. It, he puts work into it, and it takes time to let that hair grow out. He knows.
3: That's for sure, too. And I was going to say earlier, you, I am definitely someone who's vet benefited from online yoga videos as well. So I spend a lot of time with that. Um, you are just terrible. And you're married. <laughs> um, hey, Paul. Sorry, Mary,
2: do an online yoga instructor though. <laughs> yeah.
3: Hey Paul, can I bug you some more Wing Chun questions? Um, since, yeah, like, fire away. on the show. So, is there different lineages? Are you a specific from a specific lineage of Wing Chun? I, 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 there's like
2: different divisions. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a lot of different lineages. It's all. The main one stems from Ip Man in Hong Kong. Um, my lineage was from his son Ip Chun, um, so I think my. Let me work out how many layers there was. Yeah, we were three, three generations, if you want to call that, because they basically, like, they call it like a family. So we were, like, the third generation from the Ipchun chun lineage. Um, we had one, not my main instructor, but it was, like, my instructor's instructor was directly from Ipchun, and then it was my instructor, and then it was me. But, yeah, um, but a lot of them do it all different as well, because, like I said, it's very personalised as well like you've got the set techniques but again it's like that how you generate the energy how you uh, coordinate everything they all do it not everybody but a lot of them do it very differently some are very much self-defense focused um and you can t- tell that on again if you look on youtube it's some videos of if you type in combat wing chun and then if you just type in normal wing chun you'll see a total different um mindset really some do just want to blast through you and then some are doing it very Tai Chi-like, say, very slow and Mm -hmm. methodical and use it as more of a breathing exercise type of thing, um, especially the forms. Uh, So that's different. Um, I cannot really comment too much on the practical side of it because I only dealt in the one style of it. I didn't, like I said, I did seminars and things where you were meeting people, but doing like four-hour seminars isn't the same as training with someone full-time, so I cannot really comment on that. Did it have a different name, or was it just called Wing Chun? Because I've I've seen some different names. They they spell it differently, so it's yeah, Wing Chun, Wing Sun, or Wing Sun. That's the main. I don't know how that came about. And I think it's just the way that it came across in Chinese. Whether or not it didn't get translated properly, or, apparently it's the name of the founder of the style. So, I thought it was founded by a woman. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so, uh, if you believe the stories, who who's done all of these things? Yeah. It was designed for smaller people to overcome larger people by using the strength against them. So in that sense, it's similar to Aikido, the, the theory. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, you know, the,
1: the legacy of anything, you know, uh, can be murky, you know, and it really, I guess for some people it matters. For others, it's just about, hey, show me the goods. I want to learn how to fight or, or, you know, what have you. You know, I want to get strong, you know, um, like the strong man, like the weightlifting, you know, the, the heroes of, of years gone by, many of them used fake weights, you know, their lifts were exaggerated, uh, but it doesn't mean they weren't strong. Um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Vince Gironda, I believe, had these sets of wooden dumbbells. fake. Wooden, they were fake. And you see pictures of guys who were not noted for their strength, per se, like Steve Reeves. holding these dumbbells like they were curling them. And they gave off the impression, if I remember correctly, like they were, I don't know, either 75 pounds or or 150 pound um, dumbbells. And they were not, um, you know, they were just uh, fake. They probably weighed, you know, five pounds. And they're pretty well, I think they still exist. It's kind of well known in the bodybuilding circle. But weightlifters um, had that same thing uh you know you know years and years ago where you know it was kind of like fake you know fake plates and fake weights and uh, fake measurements and you know whatever. Interesting
2: I think one thing from the wing chun that I did guys, is the patience though in the dedication because before I joined the tri because the the forms that you were referring to earlier Nico uh, when I first started I don't know if it's still like this because I can say I don't train anymore but you had to go at least a year just to finish the first form uh, so that's quite a lot of dedication for you say, a typical martial arts gym because sometimes we will go in and you might want to learn three or four different forms in that in a year uh, in a different particular style so i would learned to be dedicated to that learning that small amount of technique in a long length of time sort of thing so when I came to try to say it wasn't a problem for me learning at a slow not a slow pace because it depends on how quickly you learn things but I wasn't in a hurry sort of thing because I would had that earlier anyway if that makes sense
4: yeah it gives you patience. did is there belts in in Wing Chun like belt levels or rankings
2: yeah, there is, but I think that's more the Western thing. I don't, if you went to, say, Hong Kong or China, I don't think they would have a, a belt system for it. It was basically each club has got their own syllabus. So there might be similar things on there, like the forms will all be the same, but what else you do in between that for the gradings? as the um, That's up to the individual instructor.
4: Did you guys have any ranking system in your school?
2: Yeah, we had, um, I got a um, black level, well, it was broke down in a red, brown, you know, red, green, brown, black belts, and there was four levels at each belt, so you'd have four reds, four green, four brown, four black. I got the black three before I left, and so the only thing I didn't learn, or finish, I should say, is the knife form, um, which I was talking about earlier, and that that is a slight regret because I like have completed the system, but in a practical sense, I wouldn't have really used them so. <laughs> Because they're probably about three foot long. These knives are not something you can conceal. Not that I would advocate knife fighting, but in a practical those, sense, unless it was a machete, the those are the computer. butterfly
3: knives that they showed. Yeah, right?
2: yeah. So if you've seen them, they're not like dealing with a switchblade or something like that, which is going to be a lot more in the street sort of thing. You probably will get a few machetes, uh, <laughs> but not there, but, Not so around you, where I live. <laughs> is it more like a cleaver? Yeah, like, probably so. Yeah, because it's a lot more oh, chopping and yeah. It comes out like this. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and it's got the hook on. they like deflect yeah. things away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's you know. You're, how often are you going to be walking around with one of those? Yeah, you yeah, <laughs> know. I get it. That's. But I mean, it teaches you other things, you know, movement. I, I get, I get, I get all of it, you know. Um. Yeah, it, it's. You know, it's there's nothing wrong with people wanting to learn forms or this or that. Look at you. You know, everybody knows that you're related to. Fred Astaire, so you can dance. Maybe you don't want to fight, but you can be a dancer. Right, Paul? Well, I've got to get that, the top hat, but uh, apart from that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it's like when you go to the like the gym that I go to, nobody there is going to ever compete in anything. They're not going to be bodybuilders or marathon runners or, you know, powerlifters. They just go to exercise. And there's nothing wrong with doing these forms or these katas. You know, it's... If that's what you want to do. Do it. Who's to tell, who's to tell you no? It, it just you know you draw the line when when you you know when you're talking about practicality or something or effectiveness in in a certain scenario. But you know if it's what you want to do, then do it.
0: That's
3: the that's the trick though, is keeping it clear in your mind what the purpose is or what what its role is, you know. And and as some students don't know, you know, when they start up. And so, like I said, Paul, when you were at that bar scenario, you're like, "Hey, if I attack you, what do you do? I'm well, I'm going to hit you with this glass." You know, as long as you keep that clear in your mind between I'm doing this for whether it's fitness reasons or cultural reasons. You know, maybe you're a fan of kung fu movies and you just want to do that. I mean, there's like I said, it's very much like a, a almost some of them, I shouldn't say all this, but some martial arts traditionals are very much like gymnastics or, or dance, you know, and you are developing athleticism, but you got to keep it clear in your mind is, you know, what are you doing it for? And what can you use it for? You know, and, um, that's, that's the trick is that some people lose that. I think, um, get too, so. too
2: caught up in the system as well. I think they don't look outside the box. They will just stick to that one particular style. Like I said, our when, on my first trip to Chicago, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll be able to handle myself. Okay, I've done a little bit of basics here. I've, I've got the hand speed, I've got the fitness built up, I'll be fine. But Javier, uh, three, maximum three seconds down and, and submitted. And then, of course, Tony said, get up and do it again. And he did exactly the same thing, like less than three seconds again. So, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I didn't have an, an ego, and Tony will tell you that. It wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to go in and handle this guy, no problem. Uh, and I think a lot of people do get that when they do a traditional style, say, and they get to a higher level. They'll think, well, I'm the instructor now. I, I can just do what I want. And I don't, I've never been that sort of person. And I don't think people learn very well from people like that because the instructor just wants to boost their ego a lot of the time, rather than see the student develop and become better than them. Like they don't want that, I I find anyway. Uh, they want to remain on top sort of thing rather than, oh, well, he's he's got the potential to be better than me. I should dedicate to getting him better than me.
1: Well, that's the whole point of a good coach. You know, you want, you want your students to be better than you. You know, I mean, ideally, ultimately, that's what you, I, I mean, I would, that's, uh, every, everybody I ever studied with in, in any, uh, you know, music or anything, that's always the impression they gave me that they wanted me to be better than them. You know, like you can take things further than, than I can, you know, um, and you're right. I think in a lot of these styles, schools, um, they hold back or, or sometimes it's not even holding back. The teacher just doesn't know. So they bullshit their way around it, you know. Um, not all; some are real legit, but you know, you know that there's some that aren't. You you know that. You know we've all we've all seen it. All you have to do is spend one hour on YouTube <laughs> and look at some of these videos that are uploaded, and you you know, okay, you, you know this guy doesn't have it. You know.
3: Did you guys do any of the uh, one inch punching? Was that a thing?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a thing. Um, yes, I do did do them, um, but pretty much every punch in Wing Chun is an inch punch because all, that, all it's about is how you generate the power in your punch. So in Wing Chun, it's about the structure of the arm, driving off the back leg, like I mentioned earlier, and getting the hips into it with correct elbow alignment. So you should be able to do, whether or not it's an inch punch or whether it's like a full-length extension punch, You shouldn't be putting that tension in until the last second and snapping it in there. So it's the same as like a jab. You wouldn't just throw a strong jab out. It would be relaxed, relax, relax, tense. So it's got that maximum speed, maximum impact as it lands, and then it relaxes again as soon as it's struck, so you can pull it back quick rather than being very tense, very heavy, and a lot slower, obviously, which telegraphs it a lot more. But the idea of just being at that inch distance and firing them off, it'll work great in demonstrations and things like that. Because um, you'll see the impact on either the pad or the person. It will move them, but it's not about, yes, you can get them in if it's like a short punch, but it's about that distance and there, that's where I need to tense up there. So basically, the first form in Wing Chun is all about developing that inch energy. So there's all different techniques. It doesn't need to be a fist, it can be a knife hand, it can be behind you, it can be an elbow. It's all about that relax, 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 tense. And rocks, rocks, rocks. Yeah, that's a part
1: of it. You know, you you can't be tense. You got to be loose, and yeah, you lock it up on impact, so you don't you're not operating with the brakes on, so to speak. So yeah, a lot of martial arts have good principles.
2: You know, I would would probably say the Wing Chun has a lot of principles which tie over excellent to the catch wrestling.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, just like,
2: yeah, right. You know,
1: and the good, good good, thing is, if you can learn how to control somebody, that's what we're all about is control, 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 then you have a better chance of, you know, implementing some of your strikes, you know, when you're when you actually have that person pretty well controlled. That's, that's an important thing. You know, but, it, again, you know, I've known you for so long, uh, so many years. Uh, it's, it boggles the mind to be honest 15 years is a long time it doesn't seem that long <laughs> no no it, it just seems like just like last year or something but my goodness the stuff that you and i have gone through together even though you lived a million miles away it didn't matter when you were here in chicago or this or that and We've we've gone through a lot, good and bad. It's just been great, though. It's been a great experience knowing you. So I highly recommend anybody who's in Newcastle to look up Paul Dodd's or anywhere around there. Um, You know, uh, look him up. Please do. Or contact me, and I'll forward your email. I won't give out your email address, Paul, but I'll forward emails to you, and then I'll let you make the determination of whether you'll contact the person or not. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, I guess we should probably wrap this great episode up because uh gotta tend to it's lunchtime here for my mother, so I gotta <laughs> do that. But uh Paul, I it's just awesome to see you and uh, I can't
2: wait till you get back out here. Yeah, well hopefully once this COVID situation gets sorted out I can start flying again. <laughs> so yeah, yeah.
1: Well Nico. It's good to see you and Joe, and for sure I'll see you guys next week. But until that time, man, everybody just stay cool.
4: Yeah, it was a great
3: time. Great was, conversation. Great, Paul. Great to see you guys at last. So. definitely yeah. definitely cool to finally get to talk to you. So hopefully yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back for sure.
2: Yeah, sounds good.
3: Okay. Take care. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Bum 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 bum.